Abba Father, thank you for an absolutely amazing day. Thank you that you are the sun, the light, and your glory is brighter than sunshine, and it's an amazing thing. Ask that you give us a glimpse of what it's going to be like. Thank you for the faithfulness that you bring to your children, the authority of your word, Isaiah 55, your word accomplishes the very purpose by which you sent it out, and, and that's exciting. We can trust your word, promises that we can live out, and asking for that to be made real in all of our hearts right now, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we're settling in, two things I want you to know about. Um, on Thursday, September 24, we're going to be starting session one, first session on Regen, the fall semester. And if you know anybody who battles with addiction, uh, anything like that, they can register. If you need information, text me and I'll get that to you. And then on October 11, we're going to have a baby shower for Madison Giles, who is due toward the end of October. So I'm really excited about that. Okay, uh, Revelation 21, and we're going to look at verses 22 to 27. I'll be reading from the Near American Standard Translation, which reads as follows. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Absolutely amazing. So let's walk through some of these things. Um, I saw no temple in it. Obviously, this is the next section in the Greek New Testament that deals with John's visions, his discerning of what the new heaven and the new earth will look like, and particularly the bride, the, the wife of the Lamb, known as the New Jerusalem. And in looking at the New Jerusalem, he immediately says that I saw no temple in it. And by that we mean, or John intends to say, no physical temple. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Now, beautiful language because Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are presented what is called in Greek, appositionally. Okay? Which means thing A and thing B are the same. They're putting them side by side, but in doing so, they are, uh, John is demonstrating that they're considered equals. Yeah. So God and Jesus are united in one. Beautiful language. Um, uh, uh, Janice, I need you to muscle in here. A lot of Bible teachers, a lot of prophecy experts say that there's got to be a new Jerusalem or a new temple built in Jerusalem before Christ can come back. 
But scholars like Keener and others say, you know, that really is not explicit in the scriptures. It's not made plain and obvious. What is made plain and obvious is that in this new way of worship that we see in John 4 is that it's now in spirit and truth, and it's not about a temple. It's not about a temple in Samaria. It's not about a temple in Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus prophesied that the temple would be destroyed and it would be rebuilt in his body in three days. So Jesus, in so many ways, really is the temple. Beautiful language. Uh, Robert Mounts, I, I love his wording regarding the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. He says, symbol has given way to reality. Symbol has given way to reality. Meaning by that, um, you know, for example, we've got a, a baptismal tank in front of us. And that, that is a symbol of something that is accomplished inside of us through Christ. This church worship center, concrete block warehouse, but it's a symbol that there is a gathering place for the saints. The temple, if you're a Jew, you immediately default to an Old Testament understanding. And the temple was the symbolic expression of the original tabernacle. And what did the tabernacle symbolize? Michelle, what did it symbolize? Yeah, yeah. It's literally the dwelling place of God. And, but uniquely, God will have a kind of, you know, this kind of intimate face-to-face -face encounter with Moses, and that's it, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Uh, and then in the temple, you have tiers of access leading ultimately to the Holy of Holies. Again, where only one man is allowed to go in once a year, that kind of thing. But now, there's no physical temple. It's literally embodied in God himself and in the Son. Uh, Jeremiah 3 says this, Then I will give you shepherds after my heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding, and it shall come, and it shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land, declares the Lord, that they will no longer say, The ark and the covenant of the Lord, and it will not come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will they even miss it, nor will it be made again. That's Jeremiah 3.16. That there's going to come a day when Israel is restored, where they don't even remember the Ark of the Covenant because all of those symbols, physical symbols, are being replaced by God himself, by Jesus himself. Um, if, you, if you read in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes and uses language communicating to people with some Jewish understanding that in Christ, the separation that existed in the temple has all been removed. He writes in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you were formerly far off, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Now in Ephesians 2, he's talking about Jew-Gentile. But the idea of Christ removing barriers is certainly what the New Testament is all about. Uh, verse 23, this is really beautiful. In the city has no need of the sun and no need of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the lamb. That's a direct reference out of, uh, out of the scriptures. This is what Isaiah 
60 verse 19 says, No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you'll have the Lord from everlasting light and your God for your glory. So we're you're seeing fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 60 that is just blatantly obvious. Uh, beautiful language. Now, what does all of this mean? You know, is it literal? Is it symbolic? Is the answer yes? Um, I, I think that makes sense to me, Terry. The answer is yes. And uh, rich with symbol and meaning, but also very literal that it is going to happen. Um, I, my mind, I can't get my mind around seeing the glory of God. Just can't do it. I think it's absolutely beyond my cognitive capacity. So, um, Jesus said in, in John eight twelve that I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I think it's interesting that in a uh, in the New Jerusalem where there's constant day, uh, the problems that are associated with darkness go away. Stumbling, being blind, stumbling can't you can't find your way. All those things go away with with darkness. Now we've got a real challenge here. Verse 24. Now, Janice, I need you, to, need you to help me out here. Verse 24. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. All right. Now, this is interesting. Okay. Or, what's that? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's for those who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, but there's some challenges here. Let me, let me share some perspectives. And I'm doing this deliberately to provoke you all. Okay, let's, let's think. Who are these nations? Now, Janice, if you, if you track with it, it sure sounds like these are outsiders. They're not on the inside. Where, where those who've been born again and the martyrs and all those people, they're on the inside of the walls of the New Jerusalem. But these are folk on the outside. Where did they come from? Because when you read those... In the King James Version, uh-huh. and I don't, I don't have like an NFT beside me. Okay. But the King Yeah. It's the post who have accepted the blood of Christ. Yeah. That's, that's how I see it. Well, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, there, there, there are several options. And here's what we have to consider. Where did these outsiders come from? Because in the original vision, the insiders are on the inside, literally. And all of a sudden, you've got these nations coming. So you've got the earth populated with peoples on the outside of this 1,500 mile square cube and, and now they're going to march into it and bring gifts and bring glory and honor. Who are they? So one, 
is that they uh, are uniquely somehow special converts, and this is really unusual. So listen to this. If you read uh, uh, Revelation 19, 15, 18, 21, you read 20, 7, 8, 9, the language of global slaughter is clear. It's like everybody's wiped out by the sword. Nobody's left alive. So you get this cosmic destruction, this slaughtering of all of humanity, except for those who have been faithful to the lamb and didn't give themselves over to the beast. So, how is it that we got peoples, the earth is somehow populated with people who can give glory? It didn't make sense. And so, one option is that God just sprouted a bunch of people. <laughs> he just repopulated the earth. And the, these people that God just sprung up like mushrooms overnight here, is their job is to be subservient to the faithful martyrs. And they're going to go and literally be ruled by these insiders. That's one option. I'm not saying it's the right one. I'm saying let's think. All right. God repopulated the earth. Number two, it's universalism. Janice, you know what that means? Janice, where'd you go? Do you know what the word universalism means? Yeah, what is, what is the word universalism? What does that mean? Universal. Yeah. Everybody gets saved. Yeah. So number one, God sprouts a bunch of new people and their job is to serve the world. That's one option. Option number two is that um, this is universalism. Everybody who was slaughtered, now we're talking about millions, billions of people are dead. God resurrects them and recreates them as redeemed people and gives them a second chance. That's universalism, which leads to that everybody gets in eventually. <laughs> That's Unitarian Universalism. There's a, that church is right down from my street. It's right on the reservoir, not far from North Edge. Okay, that's an option. Option number two, Janice, I think you're going to like this one. They are converts during the War of Armageddon. In other words, God didn't slaughter everybody. Pastor, do I understand you saying these people get saved during the tribulation? Yes. Okay. During, but particularly Armageddon. Yeah, yeah. I can't accept universalism. I, that, I, that is a doctrine I cannot buy. The New Testament. No, I, I can't agree with universalism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just can't. You just can't buy that one. So, um, so to me, the, the interpretation that makes the most sense, and I'm agreeing with Keener, is that during the uh, Battle of Armageddon, when all these peoples join forces with the world system, the beast, uh, they repented in that process. Now, if that's the case, and to me it makes sense, then this is yet another example again and again and again of God working, how do I say this? 
that those who are who repent and are born again, they get in, even to the last minute in Armageddon. I just see God's grace on all that. It's beautiful to me. Um, verse 25, the daytime, or in the daytime, there will be no light there. Its gates will never close. Uh, the demise of evil has happened, and the need for security measures are no longer necessary. Again, a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in verse 11, 60, 11. Your gates will be open continually. And then these people, these nations, they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. <laughs> Beautiful. Verse 27, nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, absolutely amazing. So I'm reminded of what Paul said in the Corinthian church, that eye has not seen, ears not heard, it's not even entered the heart of man, all that God is preparing for those that love him. And I... Uh, This is, this is a prep for the Garden of Eden restored. I cannot imagine what the earth would be like. The flora, the fauna, the vegetation, fruit, vegetable, all, all these things. And how the people will populate inside the New Jerusalem as well as outside. Which is just amazing to me. Just amazing. So... Okay, let's, let's jump in here. You guys, you, you've seen the text. We've walked through it. What are some things that we can pull into our world today that would encourage us as followers of Jesus? Hold on, Janice. Go ahead, Terry. Somehow, these kings and their followers got into the Book of Life. Somehow. They were not they didn't die the second death and thrown into the fire the lake of fire. So, God in his benevolence, one way or another said, you have done enough to be written in the book of life and you can enter and they, in return, are uh, walked by a slight, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Praying, putting homage. Yeah. That's remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I say grace right up to the last second. Yeah, it just, it, it's amazing. Grace is amazing. And 
I'm assuming that all the people that held fast through all of that are joyful that that has happened. Yeah. I mean that sincerely. Yeah. There's no sarcasm there. Huh? Sure. They, they truly want. And, and God is honoring the 12 apostles and honoring the 12 tribes of Israel and honoring the martyrs as being those who get to have residence inside the temple, I mean, inside the New Jerusalem. And yet the earth itself is still peopled, still populated. It's an amazing thing. Anybody else on why this matters? Pastor Chris. Yeah, yeah. I, I see this as prophecies that we can keep that God has made to us that, you know, it says, and all who are saved shall walk in the light of it. So all who are saved, whether they get saved in the beginning of time or whether they get saved at the very last second of the very last hour. Yes. These people will have the promise that they will be able to walk in the new Jerusalem, um, in, in the city of God, basically, God's yes. temple. We will be allowed to live in there, walk in there, commute with God. So these are fantastic promises in my sight. Oh, absolutely, Janice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is so good. That is so good. Anybody else on what is significant about this? Because that's just about light in general. <clears throat> and scripture talks a lot about light. Genesis, the very beginning, it was a dark, formless void. Yeah. The spirit hovered over. And that was the first thing God created into our universe was light. Light is just a big proponent of our life to this day. Uh, when Adam and Eve first sinned, they knew that they had sinned, and light revealed to them that they were naked. So they hid, and they covered themselves. And darkness, in that time and today still, you don't go walking down dark alleys at night, because you know darkness is where evil or crime can occur where it resides and so there is no darkness there's no place for evil to exist so there is only light and this light is bright and I can't imagine not seeing the shadow but you see instances where yeah, that's good. like uh, people who have seen the face not the face of God but people who have seen God are illuminated and they are radiant with light yeah. and it's kind of a hopeful thing that like, it's almost like a visualization of, in a way, how God is gonna interact with us. Like those who experience God get blessed. And then when we get to be with him, we will be in constant light. Wow. And we'll be able to radiate with him in that light and it'll be yeah. wonderful. Yeah, a new, a new form of bioluminescence. It, it will be somehow mystical, heavenly, yeah. Okay, someone else on why this matters? Anybody? Okay. 
there's hope for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's hope. That's good, Terry. There's hope. Yeah. You know, Terry, the, the, the language of the Navy that you use so much, hold fast. It's all through the scriptures. Hold fast. Don't give in. Don't give up. Hold fast. And that is so true. So beautiful language here. Um, yeah so Philip wouldn't it be cool if we were all glowing <laughs> in, in the new Jerusalem we're all glowing yeah that'd be awesome so okay anybody else um, Phyllis or David Ford anybody question or comment about why this is important Yeah, yeah. In the comments that were provided, I mean, that's, that's the comments I had. Yeah, that's good. That's good, David. Yeah, you bet. I, I mean, there's something I was thinking about. We don't often like to think of heaven as a hierarchical place, kind of like, well, I mean, I'm sure none of you all have ever thought that once we get to heaven, we'll all be equally wonderful. And yet, here you've got this city with a wall, and it's a border between what's in and what's out. Yep. And you've got the martyrs who've waited, and they they have their special crowns, and and then you've got people who ostensibly were fighting against Jesus on his horse at the very last, and repent, and they get to come in. But can you imagine how grateful you would be? Like if you were one of the ones that got to come in, like you were coming in last, but how glad you would be that you got to come in last. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. You know, and not, not that that's what saves us, but it does right. kind of define them for the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone, let me repeat what Andrew Lauer just said and what uh, Nate just said. Andrew pointed out that when you read Revelation at this point, 21, 22, the language of hierarchy is revealed, which means there are certain people in more elite positions than others, particularly the 12 apostles who rule and judge Israel, and uh, you've got the 12 tribes represented, all these kinds of things. And, um, and then as Andrew pointed out, you've got these people who were ostensibly warring against Jesus when he came on his war horse at Armageddon, and at the last hour, last minute, last second, they repent, and they're born again, and the mystery of grace is given to them, and they're allowed to participate but they do not have the elite position of the martyr. They don't have the elite position of an apostle and with recognized with foundation stones. Rather, they just get to be there. <laughs> they get in. And their name is in the Book of Life, which is, which is truly amazing. Yeah, and then Lee followed up on that by saying, you know, what we do on here matters. 
down here on earth. In fact, Lee, uh, Jesus said that and Paul said, every idle word will be judged. Every action, every idle word, the silly things we say in jest, to things we say in the fury of our anger, all of it will all be judged. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 that all our works will be tested by fire. And what comes out once the fire burns, it's going to reveal if our works are wood hand stubble or if they're precious gold, precious metal. In fact, Peter says that the testing of our faith is kind of like the testing Meth, and it reveals the pure gold of those whose heart is truly faithful. It's again, it's just absolutely beautiful. So, okay, anybody else uh, comment or question at this point before we take the Lord's Supper? So the Gospels tell us that in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He, he broke it, gave thanks and broke This is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat all of it. Let me pray. Abba Father, we love you and thank you. And, and, and we, we, we cry, thank you for the grace that allows us to get in by the blood of the Lamb, made clean by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that makes someone unworthy like me to be transformed, made new, and to be found 
in my name in the book, our names. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the prayer. In like manner, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Take and drink from it, all of you. Abba, Father, through the blood of your Son, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cup. As long as we eat this bread, and drink this cup. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Wonderful, wonderful. Everyone, thank you for being a part of this. Thank you, it means so much. And uh, look forward to next Wednesday, Revelation 22, the last chapter. Gonna be good, gonna be so very, very good. Love and grace to all. Remember, Regen starts Thursday the 24th. If you know anyone who needs intensive discipleship and needs to be a part of addiction recovery, be a part of that. And then October 11, we're going to have um, uh, a shower for our own Madison Jones. So much love and grace to all. Everyone, thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you, Grace. Okay, bye-bye.
Sixties, early spring. It was in the mid sixties. There was a book written 